may be seated this morning. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed to go with Mr. Luke upstairs to the youth room. Parents, that's where they're going to be. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in John's Gospel. We've been in this book for the last several months, and we'll continue till we finish, which will be the first part of March. So chapter 17, we'll begin reading at verse 6. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Jerry in the back will slip you a Bible. So we're going to cover verses 6 through 19 of John chapter 17. Start reading, actually we'll start reading at verse 5. That's where we left off last time. I was reading where um, those who study human behavior and psychologists and things like that, they tell you that about the second, third week in January is the most blue, discouraging time because Christmas is over, the decorations have been put away, Christmas cards put away, uh, all the money that you spent for Christmas, the bills are coming in now, and... um, you know, just the days are still short. It's gray outside, isn't it? Snow on the ground, middle of winter. And some of the resolutions perhaps that you've made, you've already broken, haven't kept them. Or, and so they say that um, it's the most discouraging blue time of the years, just about this time. And what my prayer is, though, is we begin to just continue here in this high priestly prayer of Jesus that it would be of great encouragement to you in this coming new year as we make application that you recall that as we ended chapter 16 last time that Jesus said that be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And I believe that all of us, we want to be of good cheer. That is, we want to have a joyous year, 2015, and we can as we look at this prayer and we apply these things into our lives. And, and I pray that your heart is touched here as we look at this high priestly prayer of Jesus. Father, we do ask that that would take place. And maybe we come into this place, maybe we're blue and, and feeling sad because of uh, just circumstances. Or maybe it's the season or maybe it's just because of winter. Whatever it is, but Lord, I pray that our hearts would be touched and encouraged and uplifted. And Lord, that we thank you for the words recorded here of Jesus in this prayer that he gave, not only praying for himself, but then praying for his disciples and then praying for us, for future believers. And as we look at the precepts here and the, and the principles that we would apply them in our lives to help us have uh, a year of a good cheer, uh, to Lord, have that joy that fills our hearts that we desire to have. So touch every heart that is here, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. And so we saw, as we began to look at this chapter two weeks ago, that it is the final chapter of what we've been studying over the last couple weeks called the Upper Room Discourse. It began in chapter 13, as you know, where Jesus is in an upper room there in Jerusalem. They're celebrating Passover. He's with his disciples for the very last time before his crucifixion. And Jesus would get up from that last supper with his disciples. He would wash the disciples' feet. He said that I have done this to you as an example you ought to do for one another. In other words, that your ministry is about washing feet, about serving others. And then he went on to say some very heavy things to them. 
He said that one of you is going to betray me, and none of them knew that it was Judas. But Judas would end up leaving the room as Jesus said, what you must do, do quickly. Judas has left the group here. He is with the religious leaders. They're gathering a detachment of troops to get ready to go into the Garden of Gethsemane and to arrest Jesus. And Jesus, as he is left with the 11 that are his, he begins to share his heart in a very deep and very wonderful way. He says to them that, that you are to love one another just as I've loved you. And they will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. And then he would say to them that you don't have to be troubled because he's been telling them that not only is one going to betray me, Judas the betrayer, but Peter, you're going to deny me, and all of you are going to be made to run away because of me this night. And also that, Peter, you're going to deny me, and then, and then where I'm going, you cannot come. So they're troubled. They're confused right now. And then as we went into chapter 14, it was Jesus that said, don't be troubled in your heart. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then also he would say, you don't have to be troubled because I go and prepare a place for you. You know the nature of the Father, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you have the privilege of prayer. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. In other words, I'm not going to leave you alone. But I'm going to send another, the comforter, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you in all truth. And then as we moved into chapter 15, recall that Jesus said, abide in me because I am the true vine and you are the branches. And as you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And I want you to know this, that the world hates me. And because the world hated me first, that it, the world's going to hate you and persecute you. I don't want you to be stumbled. I don't want you to be surprised by this. But then Jesus, of course, as he said, that I have overcome the world and you can be of good cheer. So these disciples don't fully understand everything that is happening and everything that Jesus is telling them. But they would later on as the Holy Spirit would come to them and be in them and guide them and give them understanding. And as I mentioned, chapter 16 ending with Jesus telling them, that you will have tribulation. That's one of the promises that are given in Scripture that we don't always like to read. Jesus didn't say that you might have tribulation. Jesus said you will have tribulation. For you and for me, we will have tribulation in this world. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to resurrect from the grave. You're going to have forgiveness of sin, and you're going to have the hope of heaven, and you're going to be reconciled to the Father. That's why we can be of good cheer, because Jesus overcame sin and death, and we can have the peace of God and the joy of the Lord and are victorious because Jesus overcame the world. And so in this final chapter of this discourse, Jesus, as they would leave that upper room, they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is east of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley. Somewhere in between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stops and he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he begins to pray to his Father. And as we study this, what I've called a, a, a wonderful high priestly prayer of our Lord, we're going to see how it is that you and I can have a fullness of joy in this coming year. How it is that we can be of good cheer. How it is that we can be successful in the best sense of the word for this coming year that we are in and how we can be effective in our ministry to others as we make application to this wonderful prayer recorded in this chapter. Now remember, Jesus 
He's only hours away from being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He will begin then the cup of suffering and death. We began to look last time at verses 1 through 5 of this prayer where Jesus prays for himself. He prays, Father, the hour has come, verse 1. In the previous verses and chapters before this, we saw that Jesus would make mention that my hour had not come. Now the hour has come. This is it, in other words. This is what has been ordained before the world, that I would go to Calvary's cross. So glorify your Son, that your Son uh, also may glorify you. So the Father and the Son would be glorified through the cross. That is, they would demonstrate their great love for you and for me, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, as Romans chapter 5 tells us. Hebrews 12 declares that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. And it will bring us joy, first of all, fullness of joy, as we apply these principles. We talked about three of them last time, if you have your notes that you're referring to. Number one, being men and women of prayer. And Jesus is already, in the previous chapter, linked prayer to having a fullness of joy. You want to have a fullness of joy, and I think that all of us do in this year, then be a man and woman of prayer, that we stop, we lift our eyes up to the Lord, and we begin to go to the Lord, giving our hearts to Him as we pray to Him, making that a priority in our lives. Second of all, that as we live our lives, that it's our desire that, Lord, I want to bring glory to You, not to myself, but, Lord, I want to bring glory to You in how I live. And then thirdly, as we ended last time, in verse 4, at Jesus said that I have finished the work that You've given me to do. So the third precept here for us to be joyous, of good cheer, to be successful in the coming year in God's economy, in God's perspectives and views, that is, do the work that He's called you to do. Men, be the godly man that He's called you to be. And, and ladies, be the godly woman that He's called you to be. That we would be the moms, the dads, the grandparents, the, the, you know, the person that God has called us to be, and then do the ministry that He's put on our hearts and in our lives. Whether that's raising your children in the ways of the Lord, ministering to a group at work, whether it's ministry here, whatever it might be, that... I pray, Lord, that I would finish the work that you've called me to do, and I want to encourage you because, you see, it's his work that he's doing. And I know a, a verse that brings great comfort to me is a verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that Paul writes that being confident of this very thing, it's, it's a sure thing, I'm confident that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. And at that, I know that as I just continue to abide in Him that we've gone over, that He will bear fruit in us and fruit that will remain, but it's the work that He's doing. Zerubbabel, Zechariah chapter 4. The hands that began the temple are going to be the hands that finished the temple. And don't despise the day of small things, because it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And you just continue to abide in Him, and just be sensitive to his leading, and he will finish that work that he's doing in your life. So let's pick it up. Let's go to verse 5 first, and then continue on with this high priestly prayer of Jesus. We read in verse 5 of John 17, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And now in verses 6 through 19, 
Jesus begins to pray for his disciples. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. It's interesting that Jesus refers to the Father 53 times in this discourse. I have manifested your name. I have manifested your nature, your character. I have shown them that are mine what the Father is like. The word manifest here means to show forth, actually literally to shine forth. You see, not only did Jesus declare the Father to his disciples, but he illustrated the nature and character in the heart of the Father. When he says, I have manifested your name, he's not so much, I have preached about it, but what he is saying is that I have had it lived out in my life. I have not only declared it, but I've had it illustrated in my life and how I've lived. Paul would write, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh. John wrote in chapter 1, verse 14 of this, chapter, of this gospel, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus praying to his Father, I have lived out your name and your nature before these men that you have entrusted to me. They have truly seen you by seeing me. They have heard you by hearing me. They have seen your works by the works that I have done. And of course, Jesus has said very clearly several times in this gospel that I do no works apart from my Father. You see, Jesus telling them they're not just hearing about you audibly, but they can see it tangibly. I have manifested your name. My prayer for all of us here in this coming year that we would manifest, shine forth the Lord in our own lives, that our kids would see the Lord manifested in our lives, mom and dads and grandparents, that is just shining forth God's tenderness and His love and His goodness. And here Jesus is saying, Father, these are ones that you have given to me. This is my family. These, these are my disciples, and they are understanding your nature because they have seen me. It was Peter in his second epistle. He wrote about the majesty of the Lord, speaking of the time when Jesus was up on that mountain, Matthew chapter 17. And he began, Jesus, to shine like the sun, literally, as the text tells us. And Peter and James and John saw the glory of God that was manifested as they heard the voice of the Father say that this is my beloved Son, hear Him. So I want to ask us all a question here this morning. What do people say about us when they see us? Do we shine forth? Do we manifest the Lord and what we say, and how we live, and the works that we do? Or are we manifesting the world? Are we manifesting carnality? Do they see very clearly that we're willing and, and out there sinning in the world? We want to be able to shine forth, manifest the Lord in some ways so they can see the reality of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And I think that the best thing that I can do to you and for you as a pastor is to be humble before the Lord, to be faithful to give you the word of the Lord, and be that example of shining forth the Lord, not just behind the pulpit, but out of the pulpit. And the way to be manifesting the Lord is, of course, to be abiding in Jesus, being in the presence of the Lord, like Moses was. Remember Moses in the book of Exodus? 
He was up on the mountain for 40 days he's up there, and he comes back. He has the law of God, and, and he begins to give them the word. He gives them the law, and the people are going, Moses, wow, you're shining. Your face is it's glowing. Put a veil over your face. He was shining forth, manifesting forth the glory of God because he was in the presence of the Lord for those 40 days. He was able to give them the law. And you and I, that as we are in the presence of the Lord, and as we are shining forth, as we are glowing with our countenance, uh, the Lord in our lives, then we're going to see that people are going to be open to us, to what we have to say to them. Your kids, parents, the co-workers that you sit alongside or guys out there in the field, because you are manifesting his name, his nature, and you are showing it in your life. Just be in the presence of the Lord. And then as you're around others, may they see the reality of the Lord in how you live and what you say and the works that you do. Well, let's continue with this prayer in verse 7. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus, praying for his disciples, says that I have given them the words which you have given me. And we can be a blessing to others in this new year. Be truly a help and encouragement to others as we give them the words that we have received from the Lord. The word of God, which the book of Hebrews chapter 4 declares to us, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We have opportunity to give people the true and living word of God, not just our opinions, not just our guesses, not just speculation on the world's philosophy, but the true word of God. And in this coming year, we can not only have a fullness of joy as we pray to the Father, second of all, glorify the Lord in our lives, thirdly, in your notes, do the work that he's called us to do, Fourthly, as we talked about, manifest his name. But fifthly, we can give others the words as we are led by the Spirit of God to minister to someone about a particular situation, a circumstance that they're in, a question they might have. We can minister with sensitivity. We can minister with tenderness. And we can also do it with boldness and confidence, not our own confidence, but in confidence that the word of God is true as we give them the word as he brings it into remembrance, his word to you and to me. And as we do that, it's important for us that we are studying the word of God, just as we've already made mention, that we are to be, as I would quote from uh, Paul to Timothy on Wednesday night as we're talking about Job's discourse on wisdom. And remember, wisdom is not just having knowledge, but it's God's word, that knowledge being worked out in our lives. And, and the one who digs deep for the treasures of the earth, it's, it's beneficial. 
but we're to be a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so you and I are to be digging for the treasures of God's word. And as we do, it'll be in our hearts. And then the Holy Spirit will bring it to remembrance as we're ministering to others. As we talked about Moses being up on the mountain, you recall that it was the people of God down below that sinned. And Moses was interceding on their behalf. And then it was the Lord after that that said, Moses, now lead the people to the place that I have shown you. You cannot lead others, your family, your kids, unless the Lord is showing you where to go and the way to go. So it's important that we continue to be in God's word. And then as we have opportunity, we can minister that word to others. We read in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. So I don't pray for the world, but for my disciples, for these guys specifically. Now someone might read this and think, well, isn't that kind of mean or a little bit harsh for Jesus to say, I don't pray for the world? But we need to keep in mind that when it comes to this concept of the world in the Bible, there's three references, isn't there? There's, first of all, it, the world speaks of the planet, the creation. As we look at that in Genesis, God created the world uh, in six days. Secondly, it speaks of humanity, and God loves humanity. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the world that Jesus is talking about here, and that John would later on write in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. It is not that we are to hate or God hates the planet or the people, but it is speaking of the worldly system, the worldly pleasures. So don't love the system. Don't love the worldly things. So does that mean that I can't enjoy the football game this afternoon? Does that mean that I can't enjoy doing a certain hobby or, you know, my business, my job that I really love? It doesn't mean that. But here's the key in everything. You keep Jesus the priority and the center of those things, your recreation, what it is that you enjoy doing, your business. And as you do, it's very important that we don't allow any of those things to begin to become an idol in our heart. But as you keep Jesus the priority and center of those things, you're going to enjoy those things even more. But keep him first and have imminency in your life and in your heart. And then for us Christians, all of us should be looking forward to heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm praying for those who are going to be reaching the world with the gospel, for they are mine and they also are yours, Father. And Jesus was praying, keep them. The world's going to come against them, be hostile to them. Father, I pray that you keep them. They will persevere that they may be as one. And I can't help but think about what John chapter 10, Jesus said that my sheep know my voice and they know me and they follow me and they're in my hands and no one will pluck them out of my hand. Neither would they be plucked out of the Father's hand. And in verse 12, while I was with them, Jesus continues praying in the world, I have kept them in your name. Those whom you have gave me, I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. While I was in the world, I kept them except the son of perdition. Of course, speaking of Judas Iscariot, 
perdition, as, as most of you know, takes on the meaning of ruin, of waste. Interesting, because what did Judas say in chapter 12? You remember when Mary took that alabaster box of, of costly spikener perfume and, and anointed Jesus? She broke it, and, and it was Judas that began to pr protest about that. Hey, why did you do that, Mary? You're being wasteful. We could have sold that costly spike nerd and given the money to the poor. Judas, of course, he didn't care about the poor. John tells us that he, being the treasurer, was stealing money from, you know, the money bag. Judas is an example, I believe, in Scripture of an unbeliever who pretended to have salvation but was exposed to be a fraud. Judas, the betrayer, his life was a waste given over to Satan. Jesus said that Judas was of the devil. We saw in chapter 13 that Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus also said concerning Judas that it had been better if he'd never been born. And I personally believe that Judas was never one of the sheep of Jesus and his evil would finally be manifested on this last night to fulfill Scripture. So Jesus here is saying, I have kept them in your name. And by the way, how can we apply that in our lives? Jesus is doing, present, doing it presently by praying for them, right? His disciples. And you can keep those who God has given to you by having them on your heart and praying for them. And I know that you pray for others. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your family members. Pray for those that you have opportunity to minister to, that you work alongside of, that you pray for brothers and sisters that are here that you know of. You pray for, for whoever comes to your mind. Carry them on your heart, and we should see it as a privilege to be able to intercede and, and lift others up to the Lord. The, the high priest, he would wear that high priestly uh, you know, breastplate, as you read the Old Testament, they had 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And what it symbolized is that the high priest would carry the people on his heart, and he would go and he would pray for the people as he lifted them up and praying for the nation. And you and I are to have the people that are linked to us in our lives um, on our hearts and to be praying for them. And as you do, they will be a precious jewel in your life. Jesus continues in verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, but just as I am not of the world. So we've seen in this discourse here very clearly that is God's desire for our joy to be fulfilled. Listen, the world will rob you of your joy. The world will rob you of your peace. And as Christians, we are not of the world. We are in the world. And we know, as Jesus has already said, that the world hates us. The world's going to persecute us. The world loves its own. Now, our joy, as I've mentioned, as we have seen, you can write it down, chapter 15, verse 11, our joy is full by abiding in Jesus in His Word. And then in chapter 16, verse 24, by going to the Father in prayer. And so Jesus is reminding us in this prayer 
that our joy does not come from the world. And the reason that I'm stressing that is because I think that sometimes Christians come at it backwards. I think Christians think that there's some mentality, if I can just have a little bit more worldliness, a little bit more like the world, then I'll have joy, I'll have more fun, I'll, I'll be more happy, and that is a deception of the enemy. That we want to be more like Christ. Our mentality in our heart should always be, Lord, how can I get closer to you? Not how much of the world can I have and still be a Christian. So, Lord, I want to be surrendered to you. I want to abide in you. I got the privilege of going to the Father. That's where my fullness of joy is going to be and knowing that I belong to you. As he's praying for his disciples, I have given them, you know, your words, and that is the world's going to hate these disciples and the world's going to hate you and me. They're of the world. They're not of the world, but they're in the world. I don't pray that you take them out of the world. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, we'll explore that in the next few verses. But I pray that, that you, Father, we keep them from the evil one. Because just as the world hates us believers, so does the evil one, Satan, who is the God, the little g of this world. He will come against us. Doesn't it intrigue you how many times we talked a little bit about this on New Year's Eve in the Prophecy Update? How many times it's told to us that we're to be watching, we're to be watching for the Lord, we're to be waiting for His return, but also we are to be watching as Christians. Be sober, be vigilant, don't go to sleep spiritually. How many times we're told that? And be watching out for the enemy, Satan. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, as Paul would write to the Corinthian church. Peter said that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus will tell Peter, Peter, Satan has been asking for you, and he wants to shift you like wheat. Isn't that sobering? Can you imagine if Jesus turned to you and said, hey, by the way, Satan's been asking for you personally, and he wants to beat you up. I think that would put a little bit of fear into me, but it's true. And you know what? He's asking for you. As you are applying these things in your life, as you're desiring to grow in the Lord and abide in Christ, the enemy is going to come against you and me. He's going to be asking for us, and he's going to come against this church. But remember, Satan has been defeated by Jesus' death on the cross, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the good news. So Jesus continuing to minister, you will have a fullness of joy as you pray to God. As you glorify his name, thirdly, finish the work that he's given you to do. Fourthly, as you manifest his name. Number five, I've given them your word. And then number six, I've kept them in your name. That you keep praying for people. You keep encouraging them. And then number seven, being sanctified in your truth. And this is where we'll end here today. In verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So sanctified, as you know, takes on the meaning of being set apart. It is done by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, abiding in Christ and abiding in the word of God that is in our hearts. So as Jesus, verse 16, tells us that you are not of this world, but you have been sent out into the world. And listen, as we are sent out into a world, we are sent out into the world, not so that we can live for the world, but that we may be a testimony of Jesus Christ. And you and I live for Christ, not for the world. Mature in the truth. 
You and I have been set apart for him. Revelation chapter 4 says that you and I have been created for what? Our good pleasures? No. You and I have been created for his good pleasures. For his good pleasures. And so my prayer is, is that as we apply these seven things in our lives, that we will be blessed, that we will be joyous, we will be effective, and that we will be of good cheer. Live for Christ. Abide in Jesus. Be men and women of prayer. Manifest His name. Be shining, glowing with the countenance of Jesus Christ. You give people the Word of God. And you continue to minister to them in prayer and live for Jesus. You've been set apart for Him to bring glory and honor to Him. And so, Father, we thank you so much for this lesson. We thank you so much for, Lord, just this powerful priestly prayer. And, Lord, we know we're not even done with it. We'll finish it next time. And it is my prayer, Lord, that these things, as we looked at them and made note of them very quickly here this morning, that we would just further apply them in our lives each and every day. But Father, Jesus is going to the cross here. And we know the reason that he did it was to bring us salvation and forgiveness of sin. And I just want to pray if there's anyone here listening on live stream or perhaps in this building that maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. And you don't know what would happen if your life was to end today or tomorrow or this week sometime, you're not sure if, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus that brings salvation. You're not sure where you stand. And so we want to give you opportunity to come to the only salvation that there is, and that is through Jesus who died for your sins. The Bible says very clearly that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's why Jesus came because of his love for you, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way. He's not a way. He is your only salvation. The only salvation for the whole world comes through Jesus Christ alone. I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And salvation comes by faith and trust in Jesus. Have you done that? Have you said, Jesus, I turn to you. My life is not its own. And I ask for forgiveness and be my personal Lord and Savior. And as you do, you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus. You confess that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you shall be saved. We want to give anybody an opportunity to do that right where you're sitting. Today is the day of salvation. That you pray, Jesus, come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess that I am a sinner. I have sinned, and I believe you died on the cross of Calvary for me. And that you rose again after three days, and you're alive because you are prompting my heart. You're knocking on the door of my heart, and now I open up my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. I want you to sit on the throne of my heart and, again, be my personal Lord and Savior. I turn to you for salvation, for forgiveness of sin. And, Lord, to be your disciple to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for dying for me and hearing my prayer this morning, a prayer of faith coming from my heart. In Jesus' name. If anybody prayed that prayer, will you just put your hand up? You're, you're saying, I'm making a statement of faith. Anybody at this service at this time? If you're out in the coffee shop, you can put your hand up. We want to pray for you and minister to you. Anybody at all?
Just come into Christ. Okay. So, Father, for us here, how we desire to have these things worked out in our lives. And we know it's, it's not our own fleshly efforts. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, may we go out of this place just continuing to grow and be shown your word and manifest your name and glorify you and be set apart for you, to be praying for those who are linked to us in our lives. And, Lord, allow you to just work in our hearts to do that work that you've called us to do. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for, uh, Lord, everyone that is here. I pray that you bless our week, draw us close to yourself, and fill us with your love and wisdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Would you please stand?